Hello and welcome to this Cloud of Data podcast with your host, Paul Miller. Today I talk with Jim Cascade, CEO of InfoChimps. InfoChimps began life in the data market space, but pivoted to offer a range of services around the manipulation and analysis of data before being acquired by CSC last year. During our conversation, Jim and I discuss InfoChimps history and look at some of the ways in which the company is trying to differentiate itself by being agnostic in terms of its use of different technologies and different offerings from companies such as Cloudera, Hortonworks and others. Jim and I discuss the way in which the big data market is changing and look at some of the ways in which companies are finding success in working with big data beyond the pilots that everyone seems to be doing. For more information on this show and others in the series, please see the site at cloudofdata.com and come back in the future for other podcasts in this series. Thank you. Jim, thank you very much for joining me today. Before we get into some of the detail around InfoChimps, CSC and the world of big data as you see it, can you tell listeners a bit about yourself and your own background, please? Sure, Paul. Thanks for, for having me. So my um, my background prior to my work with InfoChimps and CSC started in the early 80s um, as an engineer. And I spent uh, about a decade working for essentially Teradata, which is the incumbent uh, uh, producer of data warehouse offerings and analytic application infrastructure supported by the Teradata database and Teradata technology. I spent a good portion of my time there as an engineer developing what makes it linearly scalable. It's an internet connection or an internet interconnect uh, called the Binet. And uh, after successfully uh, working on that. I spent uh, half of my time there working on BI and analytics, um, running uh, their in-data space analytics, OLAP and data mining um, programs from a product management perspective. And then I spent the following 15 years as a startup CEO. And I got my wings from a gentleman by the name of Jack Schemer, who was the founder and CEO of Teradata, and his co-founder, David Hartke, both uh, decided to help me start my first startup. And they were co-founders. And, uh, you know, that basically led to having what I would call a disease around the interest of using technology to solve big problems and how to manage teams to that success, uh, led by a lot of concepts from Jack. I've done a number of startups in the area of um, software as a service, cloud, enterprise software in the cloud space. And big data analytics um, with my last being InfoChimps. Um, you could say that what drives me is building great teams around companies that are fundamentally supported by technology that's differentiated. And ultimately, I get my passion each day on solving hard problems that you know make an impact some way, shape, or form that a common consumer can understand. So that's a little bit of my background. Okay, good. And as you said, most recently, CEO at InfoChimps. Now, when I first came across InfoChimps, they were in the data market space. Um, and they've sort of moved out of that or evolved beyond that more recently. Is that an evolution or a pivot? You know, it's both. So, you know, it's a traditional pivot from a venture capital investment standpoint. It's an evolution from the perspective of what the founding team did 
to leverage their core expertise in data infrastructure. And so, you know, as a data marketplace, that application sat on top of a very interesting technology stack that included um, batch analytics and ad hoc analytics and real-time analytics, all powered by our web scale technologies that we know and love in the big data space, you know, namely Hadoop and HBase and Elasticsearch and Storm and Kafka. And so the team had this incredible domain expertise of how to leverage these web scale technologies, open source technologies and big data to support their application focus around a data marketplace. And, uh, but uh, unfortunately, the data marketplace model, business model, was flawed. And uh, that's you know, very simply because uh, people are only willing to pay a certain amount of money for curated data and access to it, especially data that they can get access to uh, on their own. Um, and only from a data marketplace, it comes you know, a little bit more easily structured and easily accessible through an API. Um, and so the value for that is, is really not that high. Um, where the real value is, is taking data that's both publicly available as well as privately available from, you know, within your own four walls as a company and basically applying analytics to it uh, to, uh, as a means to an end. And that end being solving hard business problems for your business. And so big data analytics kind of as a service is much more interesting because it's business, business uh, problem led than being a market where you can go find publicly available data. So in terms of what InfoChimps does now then, you talked about you know, the data analytics and the working with customers' own data as well as data from, from other places. Are you a provider of software to those customers to let them do it themselves? Or are you a provider of services who actually go in and, and do the analysis and find the insight for them? So at the end of the day, Paul, um, it's extremely hard to find the insight for a customer. You have to lead a customer through a process, a methodology, whereby they can leverage their own understanding of their own business better than anybody else and apply that to the use of web scale technologies, big data technologies to solve that. And so at the end of the day, we're really leading the customer through um, a methodology and letting them solve their problems. We're just enabling them. So to answer your question specifically, we do not sell software. We're an as-a-service company now. Um, CSC or in InfoChips prior to our acquisition um, believes in the idea of managing the infrastructure for you and allowing you to focus specifically on the particular analytics and applications to solve business problems. And so we divide and conquer we do the hard stuff underneath the application and the use case, while you uh, focus above on the use case itself and its impact to the business. So co combined, we work together to provide answers to those problems. And what they're essentially paying for is much like people pay today for cloud service. You know, I rent a virtual machine on Amazon or um, somewhere else, and I'm paying as I use it. You're renting business analytics as a service. Um, using big data platform technology that we host and manage and run for you on an as-needed basis and can expand and contract that based on your use case and uh, use needs of that infrastructure. Um, and you can, again, just focus on the application. So you're paying uh, as you drink. It's a cloud service, so to speak. It runs 
in our data centers. It runs in public cloud for proofs of value, some, some things smaller, some things not security or data governance sensitive. And then in, in, in some cases on-premise, we manage the systems that we own and operate in uh, the data centers that our customers own uh, on-premise uh, as a private cloud for big data. And in those three kinds of deployment models, you're always paying as you use. Okay, good. And I think we'll dig into that split in the cloud models a bit more in a moment. You mentioned CSC a couple of times there. And of course, InfoChimps was acquired by CSC last year. What was the rationale briefly behind that? I mean, there was a lot of discussion about it at the time. But in case it's, people have forgotten what happened a year ago, um, what, what was the rationale? So just as folks may f- have forgotten the rationale around that, they probably don't know or have forgotten what's happening within CSC as kind of a greater company. Mike Laurie, who is known for a number of company successes, such as Siebel Systems, uh, being the CEO and prior to the uh, acquisition by Oracle, he, is, he has got some phenomenal experience starting back in, at IBM around running businesses like this and has come in and basically initiated a business transformation for, for CSC, which has been ex- extremely successful um, and reflected by its increase in stock price, which I think was in the low 20s, now 60s, um, as a result of his tenure just over 18 months. And what Mike is doing and what Mike believes in that specifically applies to big data is literally, um, I guess maybe I'll be as bold as saying reinventing the company by uh, applying new technologies and new service methodologies to create new businesses that ultimately do, in my simple view, two things. One, allow our clients and customers of CSC to take advantage of next-gen infrastructure to, number two, develop next-generation applications that leverage that infrastructure. Very basically, we are going to help you modernize your application suite uh, in such a way that you as a client will be able to transform your business. And so how does that apply to big data? Well, big data obviously is a technology uh, a, a, a number of technologies that together can orchestrate that business transformation for our clients and is the next generation infrastructure, um, modernizing applications. So specifically InfoChips as part of that vision and part of his execution um, today, we essentially as a company are 100% focused on open source, 100%. And as part of that vision of next-gen infrastructure, you have to be a believer in the fact that open source is going to contribute significantly and begin to challenge uh, traditional models around proprietary technologies and proprietary business models. Um, So if you believe in open source as a very transformative business model and source source of technologies, you believe in that, then you understand that InfoChimp's focus on that is a perfect fit into, the, into that overall vision. And so as part of the acquisition, we're bringing DNA that is so tightly aligned to the, to the open source community, you know, from the perspective that our engineers are known by community engineers that highly respect what we do and how we contribute to open source in the community, and that we're aligned with the same principles and values that drive that community. CSC could not build that organically. 
they needed to insert that type of DNA and spread it across the organization. We are essentially like lighting a match to a forest and creating a fire that's going to change the company um, by embracing this open source model, these web scale technologies that were handed to us by these, you know, large giants like Google, Yahoo, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook. And we're going to create a technology opportunity um, using open source in an as a service model to change our clients' businesses. And so the, the Chimps acquisition was really a way to incubate something much bigger within CSC and ultimately help build a very large line of business. You know, and large line of business for CSC is like a billion plus in annual revenue. And so that's the goal of, of, of our team is to help contribute significantly to a billion plus line of business over the next three to five years. And in terms of taking a relatively small startup um, and dropping it into a company of what, about 90,000 employees worldwide, that's a very small match in a very big forest. Um, how do you make sure you don't just get snuffed out? Yeah, it's a great, great question. And I think um, part of it's, you know, lighting the fire with the winds behind us. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, those winds are being created by a, lar- by a larger business unit that we were inserted into. So another phenomenally brilliant move of Mike Laurie and his senior team was to incubate this um, business, this big data and analytics business separately almost from the larger CSC so that its culture and its fire wouldn't be snuffed out. And so um, the big data and analytics business unit led by a gentleman by the name of Andy Walker, whom I report to, is, uh, is, is basically um, an incubated line of business that will have the critical mass, or I should say does have the critical mass, because we have over a thousand people in that business unit now. And InfoChimps inserted into that is much more uh, meaningful because our team, which is about 60, um, as, a, as part of a larger 1,000-person BU, has now been fully integrated. And our leadership team are now leading groups that are much bigger than they were when we were acquired. So we have already successfully begun to, I would say, almost infiltrate the, the big data and analytics business unit. And it begins spreading our cultural norms and our views of big data uh, very quickly. And what I, what I can be happy to report on in the last six months um, is a team that's been very open-armed, uh, very healthily looking at um, what our views are and taking them seriously and adopting them. So you could say that InfoChimps over the last six months has gone from, you know, its startup size to now a thousand person strong because we are at the core of big data and analytics. We are the core strategy for this BU and we have full alignment and support from all the people in it to take what we have and create change within our clients. Okay, good. And clearly you're operating in an increasingly crowded space and an increasingly well-funded space. Um, you know, just was it last week or the week before last Cloudera making all the noise about nine hundred million dollars in investment, all focused around Hadoop. 
Hortonworks, um, talking about you know its, its own ambitions to be a billion-dollar company, um, just as you were saying CSC's business unit might be. Um, Pivotal with Greenplum as part of its broader platform, Amazon, IBM, Oracle, Teradata, Mapar, and the list goes on. Um, Infochimps had only raised a few million dollars before you were acquired. Clearly, you've got greater resources now. But how do you compete in that very busy marketplace? And I guess more importantly, how do you differentiate in that very busy marketplace? They all kind of look the same. Yeah, no, that's a great set of questions. And I think I, I'll start by saying we're bigger than all of those companies added together, which gives us at least the, the, um, you know, the resources to bear. But um, probably more importantly is our understanding of the ecosystem and the fact that as a company, CSC is customer-driven. So what that really means is we look at a particular client name a fortune 500 client in any vertical and we look at their business holistically so as a system integrator we're you know people have described us as switzerland in the sense that we don't pick favorites we don't push uh technologies we look at business problems for our clients across all of the company and and determine what is the top 10 problems they're trying to address? Take the first one, focus on making it a success and moving on to the second one. And so we're very business and use case driven. And then as you kind of come down from that, at the top level, the use case and the customer's you know, business needs, and you drive down to the technology stack at the bottom, then we understand the ecosystem in the sense that we look at the best and most aggressive players and determine which technologies make the most sense for our clients. So again, as a system integrator, we don't have to care which technology it is. We're not the developers of um, CDH or HDP or otherwise. What we do is we look at you know, what the best fit is. And then we partner with you know, Tom Riley and Rob Bearden and, and folks to make sure that when we do deploy Cloudera or Hortonworks, that we're doing it in the most effective way. And the value that we add, just at the highest level, the simplest level, is our focus is as is in an as a service model. So most of the vendors out there with big data technology, whether it be Pivotal or Teradata, whether or what have you, are you know are you know are creating innovation and R and D um, advances in the technology itself, um, and focusing on that and less on how to deploy it in a virtualized environment and as a service model with managed services. And, and that's where we're adding the value. So we're probably the only player um, that I know is as committed as we are to taking these technologies and making sure that they operate very effectively in virtualized environments, whether they be on-premise in our data centers at CSC or in public clouds such as Amazon, and then operating these technologies not independently, like just Hadoop or just Elasticsearch or just Storm, but we're operating all of them as an integrated solution in a managed service model. So is, is Tom over at Cloudera doing that? No. Is Rob over at Hortonworks doing that? No. So we can partner with them, go into an account together, and that account may say, I need Hortonworks or I need Cloudera and I need it managed for me. And Tom and Rob will say, 
will definitely give you the best in class technology and CSC will give you the best in class managed service and as a service capability. And, and together we're quite a powerful solution to our customers' problems where again, they can just, it just works and they can focus on the analytics and the applications. So that's what makes us different. And, and so when we go into an account, we're not like pivotal. We're not pitching a proprietary technology that's been evolved on open source and trying to sell you software and professional services. We're just selling you, you know, basically big data as a service and making sure that it constantly uses the best in class open solutions um, and that you can easily swap in and out pieces as they evolve and others become uh, more relevant. And so when I look at a $900 million raise that Tom and his senior team orchestrated, phenomenal, great. They have now the capital to evolve um, their technology. They have the capital to evolve their sales and, uh, uh, and service teams. And then now they'll have the, you know, more than enough um, velocity to partner with companies like us and leverage us as channel partners to a much greater extent. So it's a huge win for us. And I think the fact that we're now focused on making this happen is a huge win for Top and a huge win for Rob um, at Cloudera and Hortonworks respectively. So I am, um, I'm more excited than ever to be in the position that we're in um, to really to the extent that I can just focus on solving problems for clients and not worry about who's coming in with the next funded, you know, Andreessen funded company. Um, I don't really care if somebody comes out with a better way of doing something, I will embrace it. I will learn about it. I will deploy it. And, uh, you know, we constantly look at what's evolving in the market to know six to 12 months out where our roadmap is going to go based on the roadmaps of all of these players. Does that make sense? Yes, yes, it does. And I guess that leads on to the next question. You, In, in terms of thinking about a big data solution, which in principle at least is best of breed, how important is Hadoop to that picture? You know, you listen to, to some of the companies in the space talk and they would suggest that Hadoop is the only answer to any problem you could ever think of, um, which is <laughs> clearly not true um it's incredibly good at what it does but that's only a limited subset of the the data problems that your typical enterprise faces so how important is hadoop in the sorts of solutions you're deploying for your customers yeah no it's a it's a question asked quite commonly i think a lot of people in our clients are trying to understand all of these technologies and i don't i really don't you know i feel i feel feel for the challenge that IT organizations have to keep up with not only the business needs, you know, in terms of the asks, but also the technology landscape and how quickly it's changing. I mean, one thing's constant, and that's the fact that it's changing so fast. So Hadoop, is it at the center? I think, you know, when I started uh, in 88 with Teradata, I could tell you that Teradata was at the center. Um, and prior to that, IBM. Um, you know, depending on your perspective, there are different centers of the business in terms of what drives the business's ability to react uh, from a data perspective. I think what's, what's very common 
And what's, what's, I think the common thread across all enterprises is that they need a holistic view of what's going on in their business across all functions, all lines of business, whether it be in operations and finance and sales, marketing, et cetera. Everybody wants that. The reality is, on average, all of the Fortune 2000 globally have only been able to achieve maybe 15% of their vision, meaning 15% of the data that they can gain access to has been has been consolidated into an enterprise data warehouse with, with the ability to act on it. That's a pretty small percentage given how much time we spend as an industry around giving a holistic view of your business you know, through data infrastructure. So is Hadoop going to change that? Absolutely. Is it the end-all, be-all technology? I mean, I think what I can say is that the relational database model is finally being challenged again. It's not that it wasn't challenged when Ted Codd came up with the idea and Chris Date and the team and various players you know, tried to, tried to evolve it. But the NoSQL um, unstructured um, data stores that are proliferating out there, uh, they are definitely challenging the way people approach data store um, processing and analytics um, in a way that I think is here to stay and will will definitely uh, support the um, the velocity and acceleration of Hadoop adoption. And I, I do think that um, sitting on the sidelines and watching how Hadoop's evolved from 2005 on um, and this current raise of 900 million by Cloudera is an indication that it will put a lot of pressure on the relational models in the sense that it, they're not alone anymore. And that this, this Hadoop framework will now be sitting alongside every structured database environment that exists today, whether it be IBM, Teradata, Oracle, what have you. And so, you know, fast forward, there will be, there will be a Hadoop cluster in every global company, every Fortune 2000, 10,000, 20,000 company. Um, will it become the next enterprise data warehouse or big data warehouse or logical data warehouse um, and be at the core and become, you know, what the relational databases were trying to aspire to become? Uh, a lot of people will argue and debate that. I think um, rather than trying to, you know, say yes or no, I, you know, I love being controversial and say, absolutely, the dupes in the center and it will remain there. Um, what, what I, what I like and what I, what I believe in is that this framework is building a number of technologies that will tie into a single data store that can support decision support all the way up to OLTP or operational applications. And that's something that the data warehouse could not do and has never been able to do. Or, you know, the, the domains of decision support and OLTP have never come together. Um, and I remember the days where customers would ask me at Teradata, can't my Teradata database support these transactional queries? And I'd be like, no, that's not what they're built for. You know, and they'd be tuning them to try to get the decision support query and the transactional query to work together. And they just couldn't make it happen. Well, you know, the advances of, of Hive with Stinger or the use of Impala on HDFS and HBase, I mean, all of these, you know, Spark and Shark, all of these attempts to take batch processing capabilities of Hadoop and evolving them to more ad hoc, near real-time and real-time processing um, is phenomenal. And I think the industry will evolve to supporting 
different types of workloads on the same data infrastructure. And so I'm a believer. I do think that over time, Hadoop and its evolution, you know, Hadoop 2, 3, 4, 5 in generations here to come will be at the center, will become the, um, the single point of truth. And the enterprise data warehouses as we know them will become data marts. And so uh, my bold claims are Hadoop's here to stay. Hadoop will be in every enterprise. And um, yeah, I, I think um, it's a, it, it is a technology that doesn't do everything for you. But I love the direction um, that it's taking. I love what Rob is doing at Hortonworks and, and Tom and Michael's evolution of Cloud Air. I, I love both of these businesses, and I'm I'm a big you know big proponent and would personally invest in those companies. So you don't see some challenger waiting in the wings. You think that Hadoop, as a model and as a project, can evolve to to address its own shortcomings rather than being overtaken by something else. So do you remember when SQL was new? Once upon a time, yeah. <laughs> and people would ask the exact same question, right? What, are there challengers? Of course. And will they overtake SQL? At some point, the trains left the station. And it's not because the technology is the best. It's just it's gotten enough momentum in terms of mindshare uh, and, and um, you know, applications developed on top of it. And so have I seen other technologies that have had the same amount of mindshare and the same amount of applications being developed on top um, in the marketplace that could displace it? I can't think of any that come to mind. I'd love your perspective if you think otherwise and we can debate it. But uh, I do think that trains left the station. So no, I, I don't think there are other technologies that are, that are going to replace. I think there are other technologies that will evolve it. Um, and, and, and the beauty about this is it's a community-based set of technologies. So it's not like it's one company, you know, like IBM DB2 that has created the standard, you know, with a consortium that's defined SQL on top of it. It's, it's a consortium that's defined the technology and the programming model on top of it. So there's, it's a slightly different era that we live in today because when we talk about Hadoop, it's not just Cloud Era and it's not just Hortonworks or, or MapR or others. It's a community um, of developers all over the world that download, play, and evolve and contribute back. And so I think this train moves at a much faster pace than the older ones have. And it's harder to catch up, especially with companies that have proprietary models driven by you know, venture capital, you know, there's a number of database companies out there that I almost feel sorry for because they're venture backed with the hopes that these proprietary solutions will gain, will gain the critical mass that the community-based databases have already, you know, obtained. And I, I just think it's a fallacy uh, to think that you can build critical mass on a proprietary business model versus an open one. And do you think those distributions of Hadoop from Cloudera, Hortonworks, MapR, and the others, are those distributions going to become more similar over the next couple of years? Or are they going to identify particular niches in which it makes sense to differentiate? Yeah, that's an excellent question. The quick answer is absolutely have to come up with the niche differentiators. Um, you know, there's, there's too much capital behind 
uh, Hortonworks and Cloudera now for them to be the same, right? It, it, there, there, there has to be some bets being placed on what happens outside the, um, the standard uh, open source projects. And so, you know, it'll, it'll be a fun time to watch because it's not, it's not, you know, who's going to be there. It's what are these two players going to provide for value? Because there always has to be two big uh, players to keep the, you know, to keep the best interests of the clients in mind. Um, competition is healthy. So um, I'm not betting on either. I'm betting on both personally. And I, I'd love to see how their vision does translate into differentiation. I, I will, without any inside information and without anything that's guiding me this way, I'll give you general um, perspective. The applications are the end of the, you know, are the name of the game. So what do you do in the application um, layer? How do you enable uh, the development and um, best in class applications built on these technologies is going to be where the most perceived value is, 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 um, is created for clients. So look at what Oracle was and what it is today as a successful example. It was a core database. And today the database is what enables a suite of applications that power businesses. And, and that's its critical value. So will these data base or data store technologies or data analytics technologies just be data technologies in the future? No, it'll be the applications. So what new breed of applications for the business um, will be created over the next decade? And what um, level of participation by Cloudera and um, Hortonworks to, to, to develop the, the value in that, in that, in that um, part of the stack in the application layer is to me where the biggest differentiation will and can occur. Okay, good. Now, we've talked a bit about, you know, the the players who are who are building some of these solutions. Um, the other side, of course, is the customers. Um, and I think any organization, almost anywhere in the planet that has read, you know, The Economist or Business Week or The Financial Times or The Wall Street Journal or whatever it is, is probably picking up on this, you know, big data hype. And a lot of them, most of them perhaps, are at least experimenting with some of the tools. Far fewer today are turning those experiments into something production that adds, you know, sustainable, demonstrable value to the business for the long haul. In terms of the sorts of customers you're working with, are there particular models or particular approaches that prove most successful in moving from pilot to production? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, we look at CSC, we look at uh, adoption of big data as kind of a, a, lifestyle, a life cycle, um, which, you know, starts, you know, companies start their journey based on their depth, depth of experience uh, when we first engage with them. And determining where they are in, the current, in terms of their current experience, then we can determine how we can create value along this adoption life cycle. And, you know, we see um, and have just basically simplified our view, um, you know, as part of our dialogue with our clients, um, we've kind of simplified our view into six different steps of that, um, of that life cycle. And, you know, none of these will be 
you know, rocket science to you, but I think to make it meaningful, we can kind of talk about examples along the way. But the first step for most companies is just exploring what big data means to their company. So they're just trying to educate themselves. And that's the, you know, that's the most um, uh, simplest starting point. And so when in that, in that phase, you're really just trying to learn about the technology stack, understand how it's different from what you're using today, you know, learn about concepts. Um, if you're a technologist, uh, you're learning about concepts like schema on write versus schema on read. Uh, from a business perspective, you're learning about prescriptive applications, you know, versus just um, maybe, you know, maybe as advanced as predictive applications. And and that and that once you've learned you know enough and you realize that this is going to be disruptive, then your next kind of step in that life cycle would be doing a proof of value, you know, or you know, in 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 older terms, proof of concept. And that's where you're trying to take a small use case or a large use case, and just see how the technology um, enables it. And so that could be a business unit sponsored project, which is ideal. It could be an IT-sponsored project, which is somewhat less ideal because it's not driven by the use case, so to speak. And uh, the outcome of that will, you know, almost all the time be successful. Otherwise, you didn't pick the right proofs of value and you didn't start with something that was use case-led. So we've learned uh, early on as part of InfoChimps uh, to control our destiny. We would pass on the proofs of value that were more um, sandbox kind of profiles and um, less uh, driven by business and business use cases and more driven by technology and um, IT-led uh, initiatives, we would simply say, no, thank you. And by focusing on ones with use cases, then we would pick the ones that we knew had the least amount of political friction involved with them. So we would look for proofs of value that had... Um, uh, people within the organization who would contribute to those with the fewest amount of personal agendas. And that may sound silly, but it's something that we educated our sales team and, um, and our uh, field engineers to look for. And then, you know, picking good proofs of value that we could accelerate uh, examples uh, of how the technology solved those uh, business problems, we would then naturally help companies move to the third level of adoption, which was to operationalize that, put it into production. And uh, we've got lots of examples of that now. And the operationalization of big data analytics really means that I've proven that I solved this business problem and now I want to continue to leverage the technology to help the business, um, you know, put that um, application into production. It could be a single use case. It could be, I want to reduce my response times to customer service calls for disk drive failures by gaining access to all of my disk drive manufacturing data from my big data platform and then quickly analyzing that and providing results to my customers. So it could be a customer service led business problem enabled by data infrastructure big data infrastructure. And I've now enabled that on an ongoing basis. And once I've got that one use case operationalized and it's constantly being used and there's a production SLA associated with it, now I'm talking to the senior team 
about deploying it across the entire business unit, which could be, again, operations, could be marketing, sales, it could be customer service. But I want to deploy holistically across that VU. That's the fourth. And to me, that's the kind of, that's the step into a strategic view of leveraging big data because now you're going across a BU or maybe across the entire enterprise. And uh, and that's the fifth step, you know, enterprise adoption. I'm deploying these concepts, these methodologies across my business. And that usually means that I'm talking to the CEO, the board, the C-suite about questions that span across all of my functional lines of business. So thus an enterprise adoption. I have to deploy this data infrastructure, data analytics across all of my functional lines of business to solve a problem that's important to the C-suite. And to me, that's, that's the holy grail. And then I have not yet seen this and we haven't achieved it yet ourselves. So to be honest, the last step in the phase of adoption is making analytics um, as a service, really literally anybody, any of your knowledge workers, any of your analytics, your business users can gain access on demand to a uh, ability to create prescriptive applications without any interference, without any um, manual um, support. It's all automated and on demand. And that is ultimately where every company is moving to, you know, they, whether they know it or not. And, and that'll require a lot of evolution of the technology integration taking the as-a-service model and making it just like today. I can spin up a virtual machine on Amazon and almost anybody can do that with a credit card. That's pretty much self-service. But how do I get that at a level and a scale of data analytics across an enterprise? We got a way to go, ways, ways to go. But to me, those are the six steps. You know, step number one, exploring and understanding big data. Step number two, creating a proof of value. Step number three, operationalizing the single application. Step number four, deploying it across a BU. Step number five, across the enterprise. And step number six, making it on demand to anybody who needs to consume it and leverage it. And I guess perhaps the most painful step is from moving from two to three, you know, the moving from the proof of concept to something operationalized. And partly that's the case because... When you're running a proof of concept, different rules seem to apply. Um, you know, things like audit and compliance are sort of swept under the carpet and you, you sort of hope that no one notices. Um, things like ensuring that the, the uh, data credibility and data sustainability are all taken care of. They're a problem for tomorrow. How do you begin to plug those very important issues for the running of a company into what started off as a pilot? Because I think, you know, certainly looking at some of the big data tools, they're kind of rough around the edges and they don't necessarily have those capabilities baked in as tightly as they need to be. Yeah, no, totally acknowledge that. Um, there is no silver bullet here where, you know, you can get a, a perfect solution out of a box because every customer's use case is different. Every suite of of every every customer has a different level of of um, compliance, uh, data governance um, concerns um, and uh, constraints, and so it's not just that the technology isn't ready, but it's also the fact that every customer almost looks different from the last. 
And so this is where, you know, the reality is you can take a core set of technologies that gets you 80% of the way there. And then you spend a significant amount of effort on the last 20 to get from that, you know, stage two of proof of value to actual stage three of operationalizing it. And unfortunately, um, you know, I, I, I do have a biased view there in the sense that now I've gone from, you know, the land of building technology to the land of, you know, helping customers solve problems with, you know, system integration at its core, you know, CSCs in the business of working on that 20%. And so, you know, again, back to Mike Laurie and Dan Hushin, who was brought in from EMC as a CTO, you know, Dan might be focused on understanding the technology building blocks that need to be repeatable that give you that 80%. Whereas the rest of CSC's background and history is how to apply domain expertise in cyber, you know, around compliance, you know, around uh, data infrastructure, metadata management, you know, things that, you know, help us get that last mile or that last 20% is really supported by lots of, of um, consulting professionals that we essentially have to use to augment the technology stack. So I think without that, we can't really provide an end-to-end -end solution to our customers. And we do need to get the rough edges shined up for each customer. And we have to come in and be their trusted advisor and say, trust us. We will go from 80 to 100. We will go from proof of value to operational. And we will take care of your PCI compliance, your HIPAA compliance, whatever it may be. And I've watched this process happen. So I know it's possible. And I know that with core methodologies of how to deploy um, and make somebody PCI compliant. I know that when you apply those methodologies to any technology stack, um, you can get there. You can get to 100%. So for us, that's the answer. It's something that just seems natural because that's where the company's roots are from. To a company like a Cloudera, um, they may not have you know, a large staff of people who understand every compliance model and know what the checklists are and understand the methodologies of, of moving their customers through to solving those. So, you know, I think that's where we have a natural relationship and, um, and can help customers. So I think that's the long answer, uh, Paul, is, you know, we, we just have to throw some, some really smart people at, at those um, issues and solve them for each and every client uh, and know that 20% of the deal um, in, or the, you know, the, the opportunity uh, to solving business problems is going to be customized based on the customer's specific needs. So a CSC engagement, perhaps inevitably, is going to require putting boots on the ground inside the it customer. Always does. And that was the other part of the uh, hand in glove. You know, as a team, we got acquired and we were focused on making repeatable product. And uh, we never, when I, as the CEO of InfoChimps, I never, ever assumed that we could provide professional services to fill that last 20%. Um, I always knew that we needed, you know, smart, smart um, boots on the ground. Our relationship with Think Big Analytics, for example, uh, with Ron Bodkins has the most advanced boots on the ground around open systems out there. We partner with them right away because that was the only way 
we could get our customers comfortable with, um, you know, with the idea that we could come to the table with 100% of what they needed. How close to 100% can you get with software, do you think? You're suggesting it's about 80% now and about 20% is smart people working directly with a customer. Can you get that 80 to 90 or 95 or 100? Um, you know, when we do get to 100, there'll be another 20% added to it. <laughs> <laughs> that needs to be customized again. I think you never do. There's always something, you know, the technology changes. It's, you know, something else is added. It's not mature, you know, so I think we'll always be at that mix. You know, when, when I say 20%, I'm talking about everything all the way up to the, uh, the demarcation where the analytics and applications start or where we stop and the analytics and applications start. So, you know, there's a whole slew of work that has to happen at the application level. If I add that in, I might say that 50% of the, you know, of the repeatability is there and 50% is custom um, from the perspective that you have to create these applications. You have to, uh, you have to augment them. You have to modernize, modernize them. And so there's a lot of boots on the ground from a CSC perspective to help customers create the applications that sit on top of this great infrastructure. And so, um, yeah, I mean, that's the kind of two, two parts uh, answer to that question. Never, never will see the 20% even on the infrastructure side and will constantly be challenged to do creative things on the application side, which really um, is, you know, a, a, an incredible opportunity. So maybe one part platform, one part application, or one part on-demand, repeatable cloud, big data cloud, and one part professional services is a is a model that I'm seeing and a healthy model. And so customers or companies that go out there and claim 100% repeatability or automation or you know you never have to customize are are basically selling you you know ice that never melts. So it's uh yeah I think you have to acknowledge the fact that there's a lot of work to take the technology and create applications of value that sit on top of them. A lot of work and, and um, accept that and invest in it. And are these professional services engagements long term deals or is it, you know, six months to get the thing up and running and then you're simply consuming the InfoChimps platform as a service and it more or less looks after itself? Yeah, it's another great question. So I don't like proofs of value that go beyond uh, 90 days. And so you have to pick use cases that you know you can show incredible value to the C-suite within 90 days. And if you think about 90 days, how fast that can be consumed. Um, in some cases, you know, we'll be lucky and we'll see, you know, opportunities to show value to the C-suite in 30 days. Um, but that's with a lot of thoughtful preparation and advance of starting a project. So anywhere from 30 to 90 days in a proof of value. And then on rolling out your first application, um, if you're not in production with that application, let's say you finished a proof of value and now you're ready to operationalize it. If you're not ready to roll that into production within another three months, another 90 days, I think the business is going to you know, begin to get distracted with other shiny objects, other technology toys. So... I would say, you know, from start to finish, you better see some value operationalized within six months. 
And then if you're looking at a business unit strategy, it's not, you know, overly aggressive um, and it's not, a you know, a um, huge investment to see something where you can deploy and make an impact at a business unit level within 12 to 18 months and at an enterprise level, maybe uh, 12 to 24 months. Um, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to see somebody, you know, waiting more than 24 months for any sort of impact because then we're talking about the legacy data warehouse timeline and we're no different than um, what we've deployed already in the data center. The biggest value proposition of big data technology is that you can spend 10% of your time on data, data processing, and 90% of your time on analytics and applications versus the opposite. You know, in the data enterprise, a data warehouse space, it was I'd spend 90% of my time on, you know, basically ingesting, you know, creating the physical and logic data models, you know, creating the star schema, programming those ETL tools, ingesting that data, getting it clean, getting it to fit the star schema, finally getting the business reports to operate against it properly and getting that first report to the CEO. That was, you know, 18 to 24 months. Or in an existing data warehouse, you know, I would make a data model change and it would take me six months. Well, we want to, we want to be able to turn, around, turn that around and say, if I have an existing big data platform, I want to turn new data um, elements into real operational value within weeks, not months. If I'm starting a new project from scratch, I don't want to spend 18 months. I want to spend three months, you know, from the end of the proof of value to operationalizing. So I'm always thinking of things of, you know, if I can't create impactful value within a quarter, I'm not impressing my CEO of a, you know, of a publicly traded company. And I'm not helping him address his needs to Wall Street's pressure of revenue and operating income. So, you know, that's my, that's my answer. Proof of value within three months, operationalize within six from, end, from start to finish, including the proof of value. Um, and if you're doing anything longer than that, um, you know, fire that vendor and partner and move on to the next one. <laughs> start again. <laughs> um, good. Um, I'm conscious of the time, so I just wanted to ask you one more quick question, um, picking up on something we were talking about earlier on, uh, which was the fact that the InfoChimps platform runs in the cloud, both in, uh, not both, there are three options, in CSC's data centres, in the public cloud, and also on-premise within the customer. Do you have a feel for the relative split between adoption of those three approaches and do you have a feel for the direction in which it's headed um you know like is is the private cloud for example the one everyone picks first and gradually they're, they're shifting towards the public or or whatever yeah no, that's a great question too i would say that um public cloud is probably 25 percent of our deployments um, within the CSC data centers, probably another 25%, and on-premise, probably about 50%. And um, when we look at all three of those, and I'll speak to the evolution in a second, but when I look at all three of those, what we're trying to understand is how to make a repeatable experience, um, a consistent experience across any of those domains. So right now, we've chosen to place a big bet on Amazon and our relationship with Amazon um, grows uh, with that focus 
And we've, you know, we've placed a bet on, on CSC's own um, expertise in uh, managing data infrastructure. And we, we expand, we're expanding on that, but right now focus on CSC's data center. And within the CSC data center, we're looking at two ways of deploying. One is on uh, vSphere in a very well-known virtualized environment that's, you know, that every uh, enterprise out there who is virtualizing has adopted uh, for the most part, and then an emerging open model around OpenStack um, as a uh, alternative to, v- to, to VMware's vSphere. And then on-premise, the same. So whether you're in OpenStack virtualized environment or you're in a vSphere virtualized environment, um, the only difference between on-premise and CSC is who's owning and operating the data center. Uh, the managed services uh, um, capabilities under our command control in either case are consistent. And so it's really a function of data governance that drives the choice there. You know, so if you're heavily uh, regulated and you don't want to take any sort of additional costs into account to have an externally hosted analytics platform, it's not that you can't support the uh, compliance requirements. It's just the cost to do so. You may stay within your own four firewalls. So we'll, we, we naturally support that. So the reason why that's 50% is because there's the least amount of friction. And the fact that it's an option that we provide, of course customers are going to adopt it because it's the simplest. And it's the easiest way to get your toe in the water. Where I see this going um, is, is, is as we move to the future in the next five to 10 years is clearly a, um, an open-minded view of public cloud and virtual private cloud. And when I look at the growth of these segments on-premise as IT, as an IT market grows at 8%, the, the, the rate at which people spend on, in infrastructure in their own data centers is, is growing at, at an annual uh, CAGR compounded growth rate of 8%. In the hosted data center space, like CSC data centers, it's around 35%. And in the public cloud, it's 50. So that just dictates the direction that this is going to move it, right? We're going to see more data center outsourcing to partners like CSC. So we're going to see a natural step two to putting that on-premise managed analytics infrastructure into a CSC data center because it's cheaper. And it's safer because we manage it to policies and procedures um, that we continue to invest in that our customers don't want to. And then finally, as a third stage of adoption, it's why not embrace Amazon uh, with the use of, you know, the Amazon best practices and the um, continuous um, success stories of customers that are taking the chance and, and um, adopting quote unquote public cloud or, or Amazon's virtual private cloud. So I think in the future that those percentages might be completely reversed, might be 50% public clouds, still 25% in virtual private hosted data centers and 25% on premise. And of course, you know, we'll see it evolve and shift between those two end states. Um, customers will always keep a core data infrastructure on premise things that they can consider competitive advantage. So it'll never go to zero or less than 25% in my mind. Um, 
And uh, we're betting as a company that, you know, between now and that end state is going to be more and more pushed into a CSC data center, into a managed service by us, into a big data cloud that we host. Um, and I think we're going to see a lot of companies out there uh, that believe the same thing. And we'll see that market grow. Okay, good. I'm afraid we're out of time. Um, I had several more questions I could have dug into there, but we are done, I think. Um, Jim, thank you very much for your time, and it's been great, as always, talking to you. I look forward to seeing how InfoChimps moves forward from here. So, thank you. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for having me.